and welcome to episode 57 of the UC Architects, the world's most popular exchange, Office 365, and Skype for Business podcast. Today's episode was recorded on the 23rd of April, 2016, and I'm your host, Pat Richard. Today I'm joined by my uh, my co-host, uh, Steve Goodman. Steve, it's great to have you on. It's not, not too often. We're both on the the same episodes it's uh, good to be here hi pat yeah. how's it going uh, it's it's going good i'm living the dream um <laughs> and uh we're joined uh by uh, tom arbuthnot so tom what's happening with you yeah hey pat all good here uh yes keeping busy all fun and games <laughs> yeah lots of things that have happened since the last episode and uh, uh you know steve and i have both had big things going on and uh got a little sidetracked here so hopefully we'll get back on track with more regular episodes but uh, let's head into some top stories. So the first one here is the big Mitel announcement, and they uh, they grabbed up Polycom in a in a nearly two billion dollar deal. So um, so Tom, what do you think this means for for Polycom customers? Yeah, so this is <clears throat> this is obviously pretty big news in our space. So Polycom and Microsoft have an ongoing kind of contracted alliance to work together and Polycom are the kind of default premier um, partner for things like IP phones for Skype and uh, video systems for Skype. So Mitel buying them up is an interesting thing because Mitel have their own PBX platform, their own ambitions for cloud. So what does that mean for the Polycom brand? Um, it's a bit early to tell what the impact will be, but certainly um, the announcement from both companies, Polycom and Mitel, said that the Microsoft part of the business is an important part of the business, and they're going to keep the Polycom brand going. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed for the Polycom brand and the Microsoft relationship continuing, but we'll have to watch over the, the next kind of couple of years as to how much investment there is there in that. My, my guess would be it, this is all kind of driven by a, a, an investment group, the Elliott Management Group, and they'd be very short-sighted to cut off that relationship when there's so much revenue to be had from supporting Microsoft and Skype for Business. Oh, yeah, agreed. Agreed. And, and you know, Mitel in the last few years has made several acquisitions. Um, you know, they bought uh, the Prairie Fire software, and now I forget what it's called now. But, um, you know, and that's based around uh, Link Server and Skype for Business. So it looks like they're they're really interested in making a pretty good investment in um, the Microsoft UC space. So, And, and I'm glad to see that the Polycom name is going to be kept around. Um, I think it would have been a disaster to try to get rid of that name. They've, I mean, in the UC space, uh, the Microsoft UC space, um, you know, when it comes to buying endpoints, there's Polycom and there's everybody else. So it's going to be going to be interesting. But uh, a couple billion dollars, I, I would never have thought that Mitel had that much money. Um, you know, every once in a while, I just look at them and think, you know, are they still around? Um, are they still yeah. relevant? But obviously, they're they are, and they're they're spending big. Yeah. So so uh, some of this stuff is is funding and clever accounting as well. So Mitel were actually had decent amount of debt i believe and polycom had a ton of cash in the bank so um some financial they, wizardry they bought polycom with their own money yeah yeah <laughs> so, so, that's the thing the financial wizardry is way beyond me when the numbers get to billions but evidently the smaller company bought the bigger company and the bigger company a smaller company now owns the bigger company and the debt is now kind of neutralized because polycom has so much cash in the bank 
So it turns out if you're in debt, go and find someone who's got loads of money and buy them, and then you're not in debt. That's, that's how it works, apparently. Um, so <laughs> interesting times. Yeah, so the combined company will have about 7,700 people, so not a, not a, uh, a small company by any stretch. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, see what comes of it. Uh, and, and coincidentally, we were going to have Randy Wintel from Polycom on this episode, and there was a, a scheduling conflict. Uh, I didn't get Randy the, the updated schedule, so I apologize. But we'll have him on to talk about some of the, the neat stuff that Polycom's doing um, with the trio and, and some of their other endpoints um, on an episode uh, coming up here. So, great. Um, next up, uh, Link, 2010, Link Server 2010 is uh, ending its mainstream support and headed into extended support. So, um, it's time to upgrade, folks. You should be on state for business by now. Yeah. You know, Microsoft, Microsoft's going to, you know, not provide the same level of support that they have been for that and. Um, it's certainly time to start looking at uh, where to move from there. Yeah, I mean, Microsoft are not, you know, in this new world of evergreen environments and and patching and keeping on the latest and stuff. Being two versions down is not a great position to be on any any Microsoft product anymore, to be honest. So <clears throat> if you weren't thinking about upgrading before, then this should be the definite kind of shot in the arm to, to get moving with moving to maybe straight from 2010 to Skype for Business and probably to some kind of cloud hybrid these days. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, with with um, uh, Cloud Connector Edition and some of this other stuff that's that Microsoft has introduced lately, um, it might be it might be wise to go to something, you know, more cloud-based from 2010 and just uh, bite that bullet, you know, uh, get over that transition uh, once and for all and, and let Microsoft manage it. And, and certainly, certainly on the Exchange side, that's what we saw, really. Uh, as soon as Exchange 2010 went into extended support, uh, more and more people started looking to move forward, mostly looking towards the cloud. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Um, and, of course, you know, <laughs> it, makes, it makes you wonder for, for consultants like us that like to go in and design uh, big installations and do installations and migrations and all that stuff, well, what that's going to mean for us. But uh, uh, definitely get off that uh, legacy stuff. You're missing out on a lot of great features and, uh, um, you know, great experience. Um, and, and speaking of uh, Cloud Center Edition, so Microsoft, the big announcement that they released uh, uh, Skype for Business Cloud Center Edition. And, um Tom, have you played around with this? I imagine so. Yeah, yeah, we've had a, a decent bit of play. We were on the the, um, the tap and the preview program, so it's uh, it's it's provides a whole range of new options to bring your on-prem PSDN to the kind of Skype Business Online cloud service. So, just just briefly, you have kind of three options. You can either have Microsoft be your carrier, which is US only, and you have nothing on-prem. In the rest of the world, you can either bring your own carrier through running Skype server and having that be the gateway, or you can run this uh, single physical server running for VM roles called Cloud Connector Edition. And essentially, it's a, a, a scaled-down, purpose-built Skype server environment just for bringing PSDN connectivity to Skype Business Online. And and so those four VMs, what, uh, one's a domain controller, if I remember correct, and... 
Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a kind of, it runs all in a box, so it's an isolated instance. It's a domain controller, central management store, uh, edge and mediation. So it's, it's it's not those roles like you would know them from Skype. It's They've been customized and, and cut in a special way, so you don't install it with Topology Builder and just install those roles or anything like that. It's a, a scripted, automated deploy um, you just set up a physical server and it has to be a dedicated physical server with a Windows Data Center Edition, run a few PowerShell scripts and it, it builds itself and, and off you go. Okay. So, Pat, you, you mentioned uh, Cloud Connector Edition might be something to look at if you're on Link 2010. Is there any sort of Link 2010 transition path that will lead you to end up in Cloud Connector Edition? Um I think you still need to make a stop at uh, 2013 or later. Um, and Tom, correct me if I'm you, wrong. You'd, you'd have you, to migrate to Link 2013 uh, and be completely on that in order to be able to upgrade <laughs> to uh, Skype for Business. Um, yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's not the prettiest transition. Um, so you can't run Cloud Connector Edition and Skype Business Server side by side in a global topology. You have to have one or the other. So if you're on 2010, um, it depends whether you're using Enterprise Voice or not, really. If you're not and you're going to use it for the first time, i.e. your Skype is not your phone system, <clears throat> you could potentially set up hybrid, move all your users into the cloud, decom your prem stuff and then look at cloud connector edition to provide your PSDN breakout if you're already using skype 2010 or link 2010 i should say for enterprise voice then you'd have to somehow work out a transition where you decommed all of that and brought cloud connector edition online out of hours so that you could maintain service for users it's a bit of a trick at the moment that you can't do cloud connector edition with server so if you've got server Generally, the recommendation is use server for your PSDN breakout and, and migrate to the cloud that way. So that sounds similar to something um, I'm doing at the moment where, uh, well, luckily, OCS was in a completely separate domain as well, uh, but moving everyone onto Skype for Business Online and then instead of building any link infrastructure on-prem, uh, just waiting, uh, well, now it's here, but waiting for Cloud Connector Edition to, to then start using any sort of enterprise voice features in the cloud. Yeah, there's some real nicety to Cloud Connector Edition in terms of the amount of PS time it takes to deploy it. There's no domain prep because it's all isolated in a box. Um, the patching process is kind of install a new image and you can stack them for high availability. So there's a lot of upside to it, but also you don't have the traditional server full API set. You don't have the advanced abilities of some of the things you can do on server. So it's really a case of looking at the business requirements and saying, if Cloud PBX and Cloud Connect Edition fit the requirements and the roadmap for those features fit the business requirements, that's probably the way to go. If you have business requirements or legacy existing install requirements that mean you need server, there's absolutely nothing wrong with using server as your PSDN gateway for Skype Business Online users, it, it just means you're routing voice through those servers rather than routing through CCE. So is there any sort of mix and match if you want to take call plans from Microsoft uh, and if you've got a subset of users somewhere that, that have to have uh, calls routed in country? Yep. Yeah, you can mix and match that fine. So you can have a combination of Microsoft as your carrier 
and on-prem PSDN. You just can't mix and match the two types of on-prem PSDN, you know, gateway, quote-unquote, i.e. server and CCE. And Very interesting. Yeah, and um, I'll mention that um, one of the Skype for Business MVPs, uh, Thomas Poet, uh, wrote a pretty good um, online planning and migration guide for uh, CCE, Cloud Center Edition, and it's on the TechNet Gallery. So he is updating it for the RTM version of CCE, but if you if you check out what's in there now, it, it'll give you a pretty good idea, and he is supposed to have an update out for it uh, uh, relatively soon. So it's uh, pretty comprehensive. It's been downloaded a zillion times, and I will certainly have a link for it on the um, the summary page for this episode. Yeah, one of the just just wrapping that CCE topic up. One of the cool, really late breaking things that happened is CCE was specced for 500 concurrent calls um, and needed a, a, a decent server, 64 gig, 12 cores, and Microsoft are being quite strict about those requirements. It's interesting in in the server world, you have recommended specs and you can pretty much do what you like and shoot yourself in the foot as as much as you want. With CCE, they're being more strict on these are the requirements and we won't install or support your work unless you meet those requirements. So much more uh, declarative in terms of the, the specs, but just before RTM, they released a variant for um, 50 concurrent calls, which is 32 gig. And I think four cores or six cores, um, that kind of desktop PC quote unquote spec. So if you do want to dip your toe in the water with CCE, um, I priced it up the other week, about £500 sterling, so maybe $750, something like that. Um, you can build a kind of a PC or a low-end server that will meet that spec um, and test out CCE. So a good option there if you want to dip your toe in the water with it. Yeah, good, good. Great. Well, that uh, covers the top stories. So let's head into some of our Skype topics. And, uh, Tom, one that uh, that you were looking at is the... Um, the stats man for Skype for Business and Link. Um, what's up with this? Yeah, so this was released uh, quite a while ago. It was released around, um, I think it was November. October, or, yeah. Or, yeah, October, November 2015. Uh, and it's a like a, a real-time view, a visual view of a load of Perfmon counters for Skype. So key health indicators uh, and, and counters. And this is built by some of the guys inside the Microsoft team as kind of the optimal counters you need to look at to have a healthy environment. Really, really good free tool for you to use in your environment. Uh, what, what's so just, how is this sorry, different than CQD? Uh, so, so this is how's it, how's it yeah, different? This is much more so CQD and uh, CQM prescribe counters to go and check and give you kind of perfmon setups to go and grab them and then pull them into an excel sheet this actually gives you a a front end um, and a tool <clears throat> that will both collect them and visualize them for you so it takes takes some of the work okay. out of it for you and gives you a, a prettier front end with graphs and, and click throughs to understand what's going on in your environment um, pretty pretty impressive for a you know kind okay. of a free add-on product and so, kind of a stopgap between um, between CQD and the acquisition of the technology from Event Zero. Yeah, I guess it's um, yeah, it's much much more into the kind of Perfmon counter area of it. So uh, less on the kind of Event Zero UC Commander 
usage and reports and stuff like that and more on how's my mcu doing? Can you try and, yeah okay. yeah how's my edge server doing is you know is my vm contended and causing issues with that kind of thing so a lot of the issues you see in in skype world boil down to you know misbehaving servers and usually over contended vms so so perf on counter is a real good way to understand what's going on the other thing you have a lot is you know peak busy hours where the server just goes nuts because everybody does a conference at, at 9 a.m and 2 p.m like that's the they're the peak hours for conferences so a visualization of those perf encounters really helps you manage your environment and understand what's going on okay yeah with with the event zero stuff there is a khi module that watches you know um, all of the KHI stuff that Microsoft recommends, but um, it's, the, the format that it outputs is, is not anywhere near what uh, Statsman does. Uh, so, yeah, good. Um, OAuth, here's something that I had to deal with. Uh, I was actually writing something about um, um, connecting Skype for Business uh, server on-prem with Exchange Online, and one of the issues that sometimes pops up is uh, users whose mailboxes are homed uh, in Exchange Online uh, don't get the option to schedule a Skype for Business meeting, um, and that's generally because there's no um, OAuth connectivity between uh, the on-prem Skype for Business in- infrastructure and the Exchange Online uh, tenant. So um, the, there's quite a few steps that you have to d- go to. I, I I kind of chuckle that Microsoft still makes it this difficult to configure all this with exporting your OAuth certificate from your on-prem deployment and importing it into uh, Exchange Online and then creating an application and and OAuth servers. You know the you know the Microsoft answer to that right, Pat. If you can't hack it, just go to the cloud, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know it's 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 guys, guys. It's it's not that it's the steps are complicated. It's just the instructions are pretty bad. Yeah, well, yeah. and it's it's, uh, it's uh, convoluted because awkward. yeah, there's there's no wizard to do this or, or anything. And the documentation that Microsoft has has provided has you know is just crap. And um, and so I was I was documenting all these steps at what it was going to take and and figured there's got to be a better way to do this. And sure enough. Uh, a gentleman named Aaron Marks wrote a PowerShell script to do most of the work for you, and it's freaking brilliant. Um, uh, it does all but two steps. One is uh, it does not export the OAuth certificate, and uh, and one other step that's uh, escaping my mind right now. But anyways, he, he Aaron's script makes life a lot easier if you're trying to figure out why you're um, – Exchange Online users don't get the option there in the toolbar to create an online meeting, so there there is a, an easier fix than running through 12 different steps, each with three lines of PowerShell code that uh, can get uh, kind of confusing. So um, Aaron beat me to uh, beat me to the punch with a script there. So uh, kudos, and uh, it's on the the uh, uh, office gallery, and we'll put a link out to the to the script there. So kudos to Aaron. <clears throat> Um, next up, uh, the Edge browser. I have just not adopted this as much as uh, other people have, but um, now uh, Skype works without plugins in uh, in the Windows 10 Edge browser. Has anybody used this? I certainly haven't. My adoption of the Edge browser 
is probably just as much as yours is. <laughs> I rarely use it unless I have to. It seems to have so many gaps in terms of functionality across the whole Office 365 suite. Uh, yeah. I, I, I use um, another browser for an, another um That's okay. We're, we're agnostic here. You can... You can... I, use, I forget John's not. <laughs> yeah, I use Google Chrome. <laughs> Um, with, my, I, I, with my with my Android phone and my Google T-shirt. Oh, and poor, poor John Cook is probably crashing his car as he listens to this. Um, yeah, I, I use Firefox mostly. Um, one of the first things I do when I install Windows 10 is set the default from um, from Edge to Internet Explorer uh, long enough for me to get everything installed and then go and install Firefox. Um, I just could not get into Edge. There's too many deficiencies, like you said, Steve. Uh, but anyways, um, so there is uh, now the ability, according to uh, ZDNet, to, um, to use Skype uh, without any kind of plugin within Edge. So I think we'll see more of that um, as time goes by. And with uh, WebRTC and some of the other stuff coming out, uh, um, Maybe it won't be so complicated for users to use just a plain browser to, to interact with a lot of these services. I absolutely think this is going to be popular with, with some users. Uh, you know, talking of Google, I've got customers who are moving across from Google, and they've got you know all the the decent sort of Hangout solutions, you know, the equivalent uh, Google Apps Room solutions. And of course, Hangouts are easier to use; they don't require plugins and stuff like that in the same way. So I think this is this is going in a positive direction. Uh, having just worked through some sort of user experience, training videos and things like that, uh, to help teach the Google Apps people or users how to, to do Skype for Business in the new world where they are using the browser uh, as their primary interface to meetings, and they've got to install that plugin. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a good step to remove. Right, right. Yeah, anytime you're involving um, plugins and stuff like that, you, you, you run into all kinds of problems with users just not understanding what's involved in that to organizations with security requirements or policies that may block some of that. Um, so it'll be nice to, uh, to make it easier for some of these users. And I'm just, you know, I, I'm kind of picturing, um, you know, because this is for Skype, uh, in this particular instance, you know, grandma and grandpa getting a new uh, computer and being able to use... Um, you know, edge without having to uh, uh, deal with a lot of complexities for it. So, kudos on that. Uh, Skype for Business Hybrid, uh, adding an additional Office 365 domain. Um, evidently, this is, I haven't had to do this yet, but um, Tom, have you messed around with trying to do that? Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've done it on our, on our product account, but not for a long while. We did it quite a while ago, actually. Um, I, didn't, I don't remember coming across any particular tricks to it. Yeah, so Mark Vale came out with a pretty good article that walks you through it. It, it doesn't look terribly complicated, but just some, some pointers to uh, to look at to adding another domain. So um, some of the, the issues with um, um, uh, TLS and uh, things like that. So if you're looking at adding another domain, uh, we will have a link to Mark's uh, excellent article on the summary page. And uh, Speaking of uh, updates and adding things, um, you can now view content on Android and iOS devices uh, when you're in Skype meetings. So uh, Microsoft released an update for the mobile devices, and uh, I haven't been in a meeting yet where I've really needed to, to do this, but I know that a lot of people have really been asking 
to view content, make it easier to view content during meetings. So um, uh, great that uh, it's coming out for uh, Android and iOS, although, interestingly enough, I did not see uh, an update for Windows Phone, and I don't have a Windows Phone anymore to see if that was already in there or if they're just lagging behind getting this. I've used that new feature. It is absolutely fantastic. Good, good. I, uh, I, I'm not in a lot of meetings where I'm on the road or away from my desk, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that. So, Yeah, I, I had to use it the other day at pretty short notice. For some reason, the home internet connection blew up. I had an internet, joined the meeting, and it worked first time. I used it about a week or so ago in one of the, the MVP meetings. Uh, again, I was on the road, and I, I was really impressed, you know, especially on new modern phones that do 1080, 1080p and higher. Uh, you, yeah. you know, with the big screens, you can see the full content. Uh, like you're presenting your screen at the moment in 1080p. If I was joined on the phone, I'd be able to read what's on it or project it to the screen in the living room. It's, it's a good feature, and I, I think it's something you should try and try it out if you haven't already. Yeah, I will. I'm uh, I'm actually going to be away from my office for uh, a few days, and I'm sure I'll be at at least one meeting where there's going to be content. So, and it's probably worth mentioning actually. Um, I, it's not on our our list, but with mobile devices getting more and more of this functionality, one of the reasons that Microsoft recently dropped support uh, on their TVs for the consumer Skype is because they're saying you know the mobile clients are getting the full functionality. People are preferring it to using TVs and stuff like that. And that's exactly the kind of use case that I've got where I'm using a mobile where I want to see the full content, but I'm projecting it to a TV screen, you know, around the house. Uh, so so it's, it is absolutely a positive step. Yep, yep, I agree. Yeah, the, the, the other thing that came out with the mobiles is now the ability to fall back from uh, Wi-Fi or data to uh, cellular calls as well. So if you're having yes, a, I did see that. Yeah, yeah. That, that's really cool. I think if you're having a ropey Wi-Fi experience, the client will prompt you and say, "Do you want to kick back to have the MCU call you and switch to cellular for the voice?" Oh, that is that that is really good. I've I've had to manually, uh, if I haven't had a very good connection, I've had to manually go into the settings and then switch off require. Uh, well, we'll switch on require Wi-Fi for for voice calls, so it'll do that. If it's going to do that automatically, that's really good. Yeah, I can't. I had a quick look at it. I haven't managed to simulate it yet because um, I probably, probably if you walk away from your Wi-Fi on a call, it'll do it. But I couldn't see if there was a way to manually invoke it as well. But the the, the blog post shows a screenshot of the, the client prompting you and saying, "Click to call me back." Basically, but yeah, really, really good. See, I'd love. I'd love it if that was automatic because sometimes I, you know, I have much better signal or something in the car and it'll be absolutely fine, but it'll drop out halfway through and I'm not going to press a button on the screen, of course, while I'm driving. <laughs> of course. <laughs> you mean when, when you're out there also recording podcast episodes? <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, actually, there was one episode that I did that I did join. I was driving in the night, joined the episode, and I, I could only join. Well, I joined over what was at the time 4G. Then it was 3G. Then it was GPRS, and then I had to say goodbye. It would have been perfect then, wouldn't it, if it just automatically dialed me in? Yeah, I have I have seen that prompt uh, once I think in the last few weeks, and 
I was roaming around my house, and I think I got a little bit out of uh, coverage. But I, I, I didn't elect to have the MCU call me back. I, I just wandered back into a, a better Wi-Fi coverage. But um, I did see it, so I thought, hmm, I don't remember seeing this before. It must be a new feature. So um, glad to see uh, Microsoft is listening. Um, SDN interface 2.4 with PowerShell provisioning now. So, um, Tom, you had uh, looked at this. So what's up with this? What's new in 2.4? Yeah, this is this is really cool. So we've got this in uh, a couple of customers, and it's uh, the SDN interface. Just to recap, is a, an add-on to server, which gives the ability to feed call quality data from users to third-party products, so network switching equipment or um, <clears throat> the third parties that want to know what's going on in a call, so like Wi-Fi controllers, for example. And 2.4 brings a, a, a bunch of fixes and bits and pieces, but it also brings uh, PowerShell provisioning, so you can actually provision it in a more automated way, which definitely helps when you're putting it into global environments. Yeah, so it looks like um, 12 commandlets here, and... Uh of course, I'm, I'm a big PowerShell guy, so I'm glad to see PowerShell added to something like this. Um, good stuff. Now, Tom, you mentioned that you've got in a couple customer sites. Do you have customers that are really leveraging SDN in non-Skype for Business um, infrastructure gear like switches and routers and things? Um, not really. We've got we've got one that uses uh, uses it on a wireless controller, which is quite interesting. Uh, and one of our customers, uh, we've written an application for them that does survey um, surveys call quality, and it uses the SDN API to pull calls with bad quality and make a decision on whether they get a survey or not. So rather than us having to wait on data getting into the QoE and CDR database, we get the data in real time. And and with the 16x clients, you get in-band call quality updates as well. So you can actually yep. get queued when there's mid-call issues, which is a, a big step forward if you want to kind of do proactive surveying and monitoring of call quality. Well, well not only that, but you get more accurate data because in in the legacy clients, you got an aggregate score at the end of the call, um, and you might have had very bad quality at very good quality during that same call, but what gets logged at the end is basically here's a, here's an aggregate over the entire call, and the 2016 client now at least lets you see how it kind of goes up and downs and ebbs and flows and, and things like that. So, yeah, it'll be nice to see what uh, uh, organizations with SDN are, are going to do with that. Yeah, I think it's laying, uh, laying groundwork for lots of future abilities as we kind of increasingly move to kind of cloud and, and hybrid and, and internet and various networks. Like In the network world, SDN is really the topic of the day and overlay networks and virtual networks. So having intelligent applications direct how the network works is definitely the way forward. Especially when you start looking at... Um you know, some of the limitations around um, QoS with Wi-Fi and stuff like that, where SDN could really help out. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so, uh, Tom, or your colleague Tom Morgan came out with um, uh, an article on offline messaging in the uh, Skype for Business client update. Um, what is offline messaging? I see this uh, as one of the moderators or one of the uh, uh the top contributors over at uh, IdeaScale is people wanting the ability to do offline messaging. So 
can I now send a message to somebody that's offline and have them get it when they come back online? Pat, it's email, but not as we know it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I say. That's what email's for. But uh, people just are hell-bent on, on having this capability. Yeah, so this was always like, and that was always the answer in the Microsoft world. It was like, if you want offline messaging, it's email. And that that holds true really well while you're at a desktop. Um, in this new world of kind of mobile and you could be online and offline, your signal comes and goes and, you know, like async type communication as well. People want the ability to to just use the app they use, which might be Skype for Business, and not have to worry if someone's out of signal for two minutes, for example. So I think that's why I don't have any inside information, but I imagine that's where the pressure is coming from. Tom's article was about, uh, was regarding one of the Skype broadcast meetings where they talked about the clients and the futures, and this was one of the futures on the client. So I don't think it's hit the uh, current branch or current channel client yet, but the, 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 detail in that Skype broadcast was that you'd be able to send offline messages in the newer version of the client and essentially it's going to send you them uh, in email and surface them in the client as well so you, you can imagine it's using some kind of exchange kind of mechanism on the back end but the idea is that you won't get the, a ping back saying you can't send this it will send the message, say it's been sent offline and when the user next signs in they'll be prompted to read their unread messages from uh, being offline. You, you so, know, they, they could really take a, a leaf out of the page of something like WhatsApp because that's a real straightforward user experience. You know it's waiting for someone to see it. You know when they've got it. You know when they've read it. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'm wondering if this is kind of like, um, you know, when you send a, a message to somebody who's away and then you get, you know, the email that says, you missed this conversation, here's what it is. Um, um, you know, I'm wondering if it's if it's going to be similar to that. I I, I took a look through uh, uh, Tom Morgan's article real quick, and I I'm not sure I understand it, but Tom's a super smart guy who you know can easily talk way over my head. So um, we'll post a link to that uh, um, in the summary page. So have, have a look at it. So maybe some of you people will finally be happy that you can send messages. Um, to people that are not even signed in. So, um, next up, uh, the capacity calculator. So, um, this is a Microsoft tool that has been available before. Things that Microsoft has done uh, is come out with this capacity planning calculator for Skype for Business, and it did get an update uh, towards the end of February, which I think has been since our last podcast episode. So, um, you know, it's a it's a, an Excel spreadsheet, as most of the calculators that uh, Microsoft releases uh, are. So give it a whirl, see if it helps you out in planning your deployment. Next up, CMS changes in Skype for Business. So uh, anybody taking a look at this yet? What's new? Yeah, no, I'm not, I've not looked at any detail, but the, uh, the the blog post is very into the into the weeds. So if you're interested in getting to the real detail, it's certainly worth a look uh, from the, the Mastering Link blog. Uh, I think I think it boils down to a change in the um, where the file share is stored for the central management store. So I don't think yes. it causes any issues as such. It was just uh, one of those interesting, this hasn't really been documented, and it's changed kind of blog posts. 
Yeah, so if you've done a, a migration from like 2013 to Escape for Business, it's a little different uh, than what you're used to. But if you've done a, a Greenfield install, then um, then you're fine. So uh, minor minor issue there. So we've got that. Uh, take a look at that. And R- Richard always does a great job of describing this stuff too. So take a look at that. Um, and speaking of uh, things to take a look at and things from uh, Richard Brinston, um, he wrote another article, um, which I always found quite interesting, and it's about SLA errors in your event logs. And uh, and really, do you really need to pay attention to them? And, and basically, his response is, just ignore them. And so you'll see um, uh, some... Um, uh, shared line appearance uh, um, errors and things like that, and and Richard explains that um, don't worry, there it's a cosmetic issue and it'll be addressed in the future. So uh, uh, probably not in CU two, which was just released uh, last month. I haven't taken a look to see if if this still shows up in my lab, but um, Microsoft will be addressing this to get rid of these uh, these errors so you don't see them. Uh, also uh, out is. Uh updated tech diagrams for Skype for Business. So um, if you're looking for uh, a breakdown of kind of uh, protocol workloads and um, call quality methodology and uh, voice solutions, things like that, there's some updated uh, downloads available for you. And uh, some of them are in Visio, some are PDFs. So take a look at those when you get a chance. Uh, Tom, what's up with... uh, Skype getting rid of business accounts. Yeah, so this is uh, probably not a huge surprise. In fact, it's probably a surprise it's taken so long. Um, so Microsoft bought Skype some time ago. Um, before they bought Skype, Skype had business accounts, so they were centralized. Uh, essentially, they're still Skype consumer accounts, but with centralized billing. So a, a manager or a PA could dish out accounts to their team and run all those accounts on the same company credit card. Uh, same same consumer client, same consumer experience, but with centralized billing. Uh, Microsoft have finally kind of pulled the plug on that, and their recommendation is if you need a business experience, you go to Skype for Business, basically. So there's there's a window of time where you can decom those accounts and change them to regular consumer um, but there will no longer be that ability to centrally manage a bunch of Skype consumer accounts as a you know kind of quote unquote business experience on Skype consumer. And and that just to me that makes sense too. It, it, you know if you're going to try and run a business um, with a voice over IP system, you should use a business grade uh, solution. And and you know the consumer Skype version really isn't you know a, a business grade system. I mean that's great for. You know, grandma calling the grandkids and, and calling friends and, and stuff like that. But, you know, if you want to, uh, you know, something with business um, features and and the ability of managing them centrally, it makes sense that Microsoft's phasing this out. Yeah, and, you know, you want identity management as well, and you want Skype for Business to work with all the other Office 365 products. So I haven't seen a ton of pushback in the kind of community space around this, so I imagine it was not hugely used in terms of real business settings i'm sure there's lots of uh, small companies that maybe used it but i imagine a lot of those are going down the office 365 route now too so no no huge surprise or, or drama as far as i can make out right and you can you know once you go to skype for business whether it's on prem or, or um as part of office 365 you can still communicate with consumer skype 
contacts. So it's not like you you're going to lose connection uh, connectivity with with all these people. It's just makes more sense to migrate to a business solution. So, um, so Jens Trier Wesmussen. Um, hopefully, I get his name right. I know uh, I've said it a zillion times on the show. Um, uh, came out with some information on, on how to display network and building information in the CQD online. So if you're in uh, Skype for Business online um, and you turn on the, um, the call quality dashboard, um, and a little plug here, I document how to do that in Skype for Business Unleashed. Um, but uh, Yen's article shows you how to turn on a network and building information so that you're getting even more information out of um, out of the call quality dashboard. So kudos to him. Doesn't look like it takes too much, but uh, um, that might help, uh, help provide some more analytics uh, for your uh, infrastructure. And next up, a pile of updates. So uh, Link 2013 client update came out in February, and a Link Server 2010 uh, cumulative update came out in April, and a Link Server 2013 cumulative update came out, I think, in April as well. And uh, in March, last month, a Skype for Business Server cumulative update 2 came out. Um, so... I'm not really concerned too much around the link link server CUs, but um, I know that the um, they all include some security updates. But um, what's going on with CU two for Skype for Business? Crickets. Some, some stuff. Some stuff was fixed and probably wasn't very well documented. <laughs> uh, I know that one of the issues is around around using Edge user uh, users that use the Edge browser um, joining. Um, uh, Skype for Business web app uh, calls and stuff like that. That seems to be uh, resolved, but I haven't really heard of anything else going on with that update. Yeah, I think oh, well, yeah, the, the exciting stuff uh, is getting cut into the Skype for Business CU, so the, the link 2010 and 2013 stuff is probably largely maintenance stuff now. Um, yeah. I used to be fairly religious about following what's in the, the CUs, but they... Uh, they come so thick and fast now on the on the client side that it's you know, it's hard to track on the client side what's going on and you have everything coming and click to run now anyway so that tends to be where the new developments are on the client side uh, and on the server side I, I must admit I haven't looked into Skype Business uh, Server CU too much yet yeah so um, the client one um, the client update seems to fix some crashing issues. Um, and some display issues around file sizes, incorrect file sizes when you're doing trans file transfers and um, and things like that. But um, and some missed uh, uh, call notifications, some minor nuisance things like that. So um, probably good to, to upgrade your clients there. <clears throat> and if you're in a bigger environment and you're you're struggling to keep track of uh, where all of your servers are patched to, uh, check out the Get CS. Uh, update version script. It'll it'll break it down as to what servers are in what uh, cumulative update level. It might help you figure out when to patch and where to patch and things like that. Yeah, awesome script. Definitely one that if you're in a bigger environment, because you know, inevitably in big patch cycles things get missed. So checking all your servers is a really good shout. Yeah, I, <laughs> you know I always 
it's it's kind of like writing your own resume. I always kind of hate mentioning my own scripts, but uh, I know I, I get a lot of feedback for that script, and so I, I see that a lot of people are using it. It just makes life easier. Uh, you know, Tom, you and I have both gone gone into big environments to try to look at things, and you know, they they tell you, oh, everything's patched to the latest. Uh, uh, a cumulative update and you run the script and it shows you know some some pool out in the middle of the ocean somewhere that's you know six cus back or something and yeah oh there's an se there yep yep hasn't been patched <laughs> <laughs> yep um and, and mentioning um patches and stuff and and uh steve you can uh pipe in on this too um dot uh, net framework 4.6.1 um and later including um 4.7, I think, uh, is out now. Um, don't install it. It's not supported uh, on Skype for Business Server or Exchange Server. And Steve, no, I no. Think- I don't think the Windows Server 2012 R2, for example, isn't automatically pushing that out either. It's, it's putting it as an optional update. Uh, and like any optional new update, you want to check it's compatible before you install it. Uh, so it's not automatically pushing out if you've just set uh, your service to update from the internet or, or something like that. Right, but it's it's uh, still not supported in Exchange, right? No. Okay, yeah, so so don't check that box when you're doing your updates. It's not supported in uh, Skype for Business Server either. I looked at the, the matrix just before we started recording it. It, it was still not on that list, so... Um, as Tony Redmond says in his article, uh, just say no to uh, .NET 4.6.1. And uh, a tip from uh, our own Justin Morris, who just got married. So congrats uh, to uh, Justin. Some awesome wedding pictures online. Woo-hoo. Uh, <laughs> yay. Um, and he's taken over Australia by storm, isn't he, Tom? Uh, that section of your business is, yeah. is doing pretty good from what yeah. I've heard. I'm surprised he had any time to get married since he's been out in Australia. Our team's just been growing, growing out there. So, uh, yeah, congrats to him, and I'm glad he found the time to have a bit of a, a bit of a break and a honeymoon with his, his missus. But uh, hopefully, he's uh, fully, fully back to work and in the mix now. Good. Well, he he wanted to um, to point out that uh, over 250 contacts in uh, your Skype for Business. Uh, client has a world of client performance impact, presence and adding and remove contacts, meeting joins, things like that. So, um, you know, if you pare down your contact list a little bit, a lot some people are reporting that uh, they're seeing an improvement in performance of the client. Yeah, well, I, so. anecdotally, I've noticed that too. Like, uh, you know, I've had the same CPRI for like six years, and you just add and add and add people over time. And about twelve months ago, I did the export and just pared it all down and started using distribution lists rather than having a gazillion contacts and i've noticed things like the the mobile client are, are more responsive when you've got a lighter buddy list the, the way the new mobile clients work they don't even default to the buddy list they default to your last meetings and i think that's again to do with performance of updating a bazillion people's presence which you don't honestly really need day-to-day on a mobile client yeah, <clears throat> although I would still like to see some better contact management for enterprises, but I'll get off my soapbox for that. Um, <laughs> well, it's, it's hacking together PowerShell and DB input export not good enough for you, Pat? <laughs> well, you, you know, I'm, I, I'm all for that, but um, it, it just seems messy that there's no better uh, solution around that. But um, discussion for another day. 
Um, two uh, Skype for Business related um, third party tools that we wanted to kind of uh, get, give some attention to. The first is called Status Key, and <clears throat> and basically what Status Key does is it's a little tray I. Uh, 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 application that runs in your system tray and gives you some hotkeys to basically be able to quickly change your uh, um, your presence settings. So if you want to go to uh, a busy or away or whatever, you could do it with a couple of you know keyboard shortcuts. So um, sounds like an interesting little tool, and that was done by Randy Chapman. So kudos to Randy. We'll get a, a link out for that. And... Uh, the second one is uh, by our good buddy James Cousin, who always comes out with wicked cool stuff. Um, he has come out with a new version of his call pickup group manager. Uh, it's now at version 2.0, so um, lots of things. If you're dealing with uh, group call pickup in your environment, this is the tool to use. It makes life so much easier. So uh, give it a whirl. He's got uh, all kinds of... Uh, updates. Um, I won't go into the list because it's a it's a big list. There's about a dozen things that he's changed here, but uh, give that a whirl. James uh, writes some pretty good stuff. So uh, that does it for the Skype for Business uh, content for this episode. Office 365. So now uh, poor Steve can wake up from his nap. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, new Office 365 admin center. So uh, this is exciting. I noticed this the other day when I had to log into my tenant um, yeah, to, but, to look at something. And, and so what's going on with this? Microsoft are really uh, pushing this as well. Uh, when you log in now, you'll see at the top uh, some instructions to test it out, have a go with it, have a play. It isn't complete, though. It doesn't do everything that the existing one can at the moment. Uh, so if you're expecting to, to, to do all the configuration of importing PSTs and all sorts of things like that, then you're not going to be able to do it. But it's it's there. It's giving you a flavor of, of all the new controls. Uh, and, of course, going forward, things are also more focused on making things uh, more consistent across the, the web-based view and mobile as well. Yeah, it looks like uh, quite a bit more around uh, reporting. And, Absolutely. Uh, the to, yeah, the ability to customize and, and search for things, too. Yeah, I I believe there's, uh, there's more, there's some reporting stuff that's only available through the, the new UI as well. So it's worth checking out, especially if you're interested in getting access to some of those new reports. Uh, the, cool. the other one that's popped up as well in there, which isn't on our list, is the Compliance Center. Uh, so the Compliance Center is, has been around for a while, uh, but it's, it's being pushed uh, a little bit more as uh, a, a top-level application tile. So uh, alongside the Admin Center, rather than it being a link off it, it's, it's alongside it in the application launcher, uh, a link straight into the Compliance Center. So if you've got compliance types that are interested in just that functionality, but they're not administrators, then and you can provide them that access, and they'll be able to jump straight in and use the compliance center as a whole from from wherever they are in Office 365. Okay, great. And, and something else that they've released too. And speaking of reporting things, is um, there's now quite a list of the uh, PowerShell commandlets available for Office 365 uh, reporting web services. So if you're um, you want to tie in PowerShell into some of the reporting that you can get from Office 365. There's now uh, quite a list of 
uh, all the commandlets available, and each one breaks out into an individual page for that particular commandlet, just like you would normally expect for um, TechNet, and um, gives you far more information. So for all you uh, uh, hardcore uh, PowerShell guys like me, you know that's definitely going to be a, a big help. So um, also, Office 365 Hybrid Configuration Wizard. So that looks like um, updated... Uh, recently, so updated to support Exchange 2010. So Absolutely. why was that in there? Why wasn't that there before? Well, the, the new Office 365 hybrid configuration wizard, as you know, started just for uh, Exchange 2013 uh, with uh, was it CUA and above, and Exchange 2016. So naturally, those those two are both uh, a really good fit for, especially with a you know web-based UI. Uh, so this is this is really really good because if you are running Exchange 2010 at the moment, then that new hybrid configuration wizard is really the only thing that you really you know are lacking with the the old Exchange 2010 interface uh, because it is a little bit less reliable. It does give you a little bit less help. So this is absolutely a good thing. So if you are thinking, I'm on Exchange 2010, do I need? something newer to perform my hybrid functionality. This is yet another sign from Microsoft saying, no, you don't. You know, 2010 might be out of mainstream support, but it's getting this Office 365 feature. Okay, I'm good. It's worth saying, though, it's completely in Microsoft's interest to do this uh, because, obviously, they get support calls when people are having problems with hybrid configuration wizard issues. And, of course, the biggest one with Exchange 2010 has always been things like Federation uh, when it's configura configuring the free busy bits and pieces. So to have the, the new hybrid configuration wizard working with 2010 makes it not only easier for us doing it, but it makes it easier for Microsoft because they have less support issues and they have better visibility into the kind of problems people have with Exchange 2010. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm just, I guess I'm, I'm just surprised that it took this long to, <laughs> to support Exchange 2010. Well, it's, it's what, well, I suppose time flies, but what is it? Um, six, eight months? It's not a long time. Uh, and it's been out now for at least a month, so it's it's not too bad. Okay, good. Well, if you're if you're dealing with Office 365 and you need to deal with licenses and services and everything, um, and you need to make bulk updates of of licenses and services, um, Skype for Business MVP Michael Lamontagne um, has now come out with a script to help you do that bulk. Uh, uh, import so uh, bulk o365 license services.ps1 so it's available on the technet gallery so check it out it might uh, make your life easier if you've got to do uh, bulk updates there yeah so i mean this is it's good it's yet another licensing script though there's absolutely tons of these there's been lots and lots of these around for the last four or five years so have a look at what's out there that they, they all differ in slightly different ways this might be the one for you uh, <laughs> i'm just i'm just opening it now and having a, a look at uh, one of the, the biggest mistakes people seem to make though in these scripts is um setting the usage location in the script because you can set that an AD, and as your AD Connect will push that straight into Office 365 for you, so you don't have to do it. And having a look, I think this is 
it is still setting usage location as well. So there's there's a lot of different ways of doing it. Take a look at them all. This is another one, and it looks it looks pretty good. Uh, have a look at it. See if this one fits your needs because there's, there's so many different ways of doing it. Right, right. And PowerShell makes it easy for just about anybody, you know, to to build these or to to take an existing one, such as Michael Script, and adapt it or or change it or. Absolutely. That's what and I like about PowerShell. And the fact people have had to redo this over and over again points towards Microsoft needing to consider automating licensing as part of the Azure AD Connect process. Uh, because now we are at a stage where there's so many different S, uh, SKUs that people are going to be jumping around between them over time, especially as they you know, uplift to things like E5 that they really need to consider making sure that it's easy to set this. Uh, so you don't need to rely on a scheduled script to do something very, very important. Because these scripts going wrong is, is very, very unhelpful. Uh, and uh, a bad licensing script could absolutely disable email, effectively the equivalent of disconnecting all your mailboxes in the organization if it goes wrong. So pick wisely, uh, but Microsoft, if you're listening, Automate this for us. Get in my soapbox. I'm always reluctant to do that because uh, to say stuff like that because um, I've had I think two different scripts that I wrote mm. end up being the basis for stuff that Microsoft has released, yeah. and uh, so then I'm like, oh, you know, it would be nice if if they kind of you know gave a shout out or something like that, but um, it, you know it, it's. You're right. They need to do it. And the reason why these scripts are out there is because they haven't. Absolutely. And, yeah, they're all valuable. But, yeah, take a good look at, at them because uh, there's a lot and see which one meets your needs. And, you know, and, and here's you know, something else. Uh, they're rolling back the mailbox anchoring change for remote power shell. So Yes. What? I hadn't even heard about this. What was this well, issue? Well, isn't it obvious enough? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Pat, I know you're no longer an exchange of you, but that's not obvious. It's like Ron Seal. It does what it says on the tin. <laughs> okay. So the mailbox anchoring change. Uh, simply put, uh, if, the, if your admin mailbox is on a specific server, uh, when you PowerShell into it, it'll connect you to that server. Your, your session will be tied to that. So if you're uh, connecting over remote PowerShell to a server in Singapore, but your mailbox is in the US, then it's going to route you back to the US. But you really want it to be connected to that server you're working on with AD replication, all that sort of bits and pieces in the way. Uh, in Singapore, but it's connected just the wrong place. So th this was unhelpful for a number of reasons. Um, if customers were not happy with it, it caused various people problems, and Microsoft are rolling back that change. So the server you connect to will be the one that should uh, get your PowerShell session. It shouldn't try and push you back or proctor you back uh, to the back-end server um, okay. that your mailbox is on. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense now. Okay. Thanks for clearing fire that. Um, As I said, it was obvious, man. Well, I was, you know. <laughs> no, it wasn't at all. Um, I well, think I explained it pretty well, as well. You know, you know, I'm looking at the at the blog post, and who is it written by? Ross Smith. So, you know, yeah. uh, 
Yeah. Okay. So, uh, well, good. It's 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 uh it's nice to see that, and that uh, applies to Exchange 2013 uh, C12 and Exchange 2016 as well. Yeah, it's it's a good case of where Microsoft are really you know listening to feedback from on-premises customers, and they made this change. You know that we were as MVPs. Uh, had varying opinions of it, but nothing really that critical. But it was when it went out and people in the community started using it that some of these problems really came out. Microsoft listened and uh, made the change. So it's really positive to see that what wasn't a bug, it was you know intentional. Uh, Microsoft had listened and, and rolled that back. So uh, big Good. thumbs up there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and they released uh, Xmon for Exchange 2013 and 2016. So Absolutely, that is Absolutely, uh, yeah. Long-time Exchange admins will remember this Exchange monitor tool. Uh, good for showing who's connected uh, where. And uh, I, I think this is, is representative of the uptick we are seeing in 2013 and 2016 deployments. Office 365 might be the, the big, big thing. And so many organizations are moving to Exchange Online. But there are so many Exchange organizations out there, many of, of whom have been licensed for Exchange 2013 and 2016 for years. Uh, you know, the, the tail end of 2010 deployments uh, were, were happening after 2013 was, was first out. Uh, people were licensed for it way before they'd consider deploying it. Uh, and it's only round about now that we're starting to see a bigger push. I get more questions about 2013 and 2016 than, than I have over the last three years. So these tools being released, uh, excellent, excellent news, because the 2010 and, and uh, 2007 admins that are now considering an upgrade will already be using this kind of tool, uh, and will be very glad to see it. Good. Um, <clears throat> so we talked about, um, during the Skip for Business stuff, about not installing .NET Framework 461 on Skype for Business or for Exchange. Uh, but there's also something else that you should not install on Exchange servers, and that is the uh, Windows Management Framework 5.0. Uh, it's not it's not in the support matrix yet that I see, um, so you don't want to install it. Of course, um, Windows Management Framework is uh, one of the components of that is PowerShell, so PowerShell 5.0. Uh, it's not supported yet, so don't install it. Uh, thinking that. Uh, uh, you're going to get the latest and greatest stuff and, and still be supported. So uh, a word of caution there. Um, we will have a link to the support matrix uh, for that so you can see when, when it pops up there when you can install it on your servers to call uh, uh, Steve over to come fix your Exchange environment. So, I mean, for the .NET Framework 4.61, you mentioned earlier that um, Tony Redmond has, has written an article on it. So uh, that he's, he's explained that it's not just... Uh, that it's not supported. There are specific issues. Uh, and he's calling out KB3095369, uh, which has uh, outlined some of the issues, which is mailboxes being quarantined, databases falling over unexpectedly. So, you know, and, uh, and as he rightly points out, the, the information store in 2013 uh, is now based on .NET, so it is crucial that you've got a supported version of it. It's not just, oh, well, we haven't tested it yet, um, but it pro will probably be okay. It's, it actually has issues, so don't deploy it to Exchange servers. 
sound advice from you and from Tony. So. Well, yeah, passing on his advice from the man <laughs> himself. Um, okay, hybrid shared mailbox access. So what the hell is, uh, tell us what a shared mailbox is for those that don't know. So if you have an exchange server, you often have some mailboxes on it. You have a Steve mailbox, a Pat mailbox. Uh, but maybe me and you, we, we have a shared mailbox that we share. We, we get all our, our UC Architects email to it. Uh, and we both have access to it. It's a mailbox completely on its own. Uh, we can go in, we can both delete stuff in it, and you'll see what I've just been read. If I read it, it's a separate mailbox all to itself. Uh, and that's what shared mailbox is. Two people or more have permissions on it and can send as it and do all sorts of different things. So many organizations will use these for sales, information, all sorts of purposes. Uh, and when you plan your hybrid migration, uh, which might be uh, something that you might plan yeah, it might be going all into the cloud, but you can't move everyone on the same day. You've got a plan for all sorts of different factors. Um, but one of those in particular is sharing. Actually, well, one thing to add to that, what, what isn't a shared mailbox, but is um, a case where it has the same behavior is, is PAs and the executives that they manage the mail for, often they'll also have full mailbox permissions to the, the execs inbox. Uh, and again, the, when you're making the, 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 the migration happen, you need to plan so that the affinity, the, the sharing between these people is uh, includes the shared mailbox and they're all moved together. So during that process, they can still access the same stuff. Now, that has always been a bit of a problem because if you look around organizations, sharing spans, you know, almost sort of end to end, uh, almost like uh, that, that thing in Wayne's world where he talks to him and three people talk to other people and so on and so on. And you find that there's a big long chain of that. Now, th this doesn't solve everything, but it solves a, a big issue with shared mailbox access because now, as of around about six or seven weeks ago, you know, early 2000. 16, uh, we now have access to shared mailboxes uh, cross hybrid. So if you move, um, I move Pat's mailbox to the cloud, uh, but the UC Architects mailbox is still on prem, then Pat will still be able to access it. Now, this is particularly uh, reliant on the client updates. So the client must have uh, November updates for 2013 or higher. It doesn't work with 2010, uh, it's, it's simply not supported. And there's some scenarios around it that still aren't supported as well. For example, send as permissions. So if we, if I, if I move you uh, to the cloud path, then you wouldn't have permissions to send as that mailbox. Uh, so, but you'd still be able to access it. Now, again, this is a bit different to the previous one where it's supported. It's not supported and it doesn't work. It is not supported to add the the send as permission cloud side but it will work it's simply that there's no full ui uh, because really for this to work you've got a dual permission you've got a grant to send as on-prem uh, and you to, to the people that use it on-prem and then you've got to add the the, the send as trustee uh, on the cloud side so it can send as in the cloud because obviously in office 365 it's not routing that mail through on-prem you're sending as in on in the cloud so the shared mailbox access works, and it works both ways. So theoretically, if you've got a big group of people that access a shared mailbox, you could move the shared mailbox first, and they'll be able to access it cloud in the cloud, 
uh, and then of course move them along with the mailbox uh, and again uh, there's certain use cases where you might want that to happen for example if um, as you let uh, let me explain uh, that use case scenario from sort of scratch because uh, it's one we've seen in the wild so far when we're starting to use this new feature you, um, say, uh, say, Pat, uh, you're based in the US, I'm based in the UK, and we publish Exchange at the UK. Uh, the shared mailbox is in the US that you access. Now, once we move you into Office 365, then you will attempt to access that shared mailbox using Outlook Anywhere, which means that because we're published in the UK, you'll be connecting out from the US over to the UK throughout Look Anywhere and then back to the US to access that shared mailbox in situ. So if we moved everybody first and then the shared mailbox afterwards, then they'd all be using Outlook Anywhere to, to access that shared mailbox, which might not go through the most optimum route. So in those kind of cases, you might choose to move the shared mailbox first. Obviously, it all comes down to testing. But it's it's a great new feature. It's not without its caveats, though. You've got to really understand it before you start using it. The the biggie that, that isn't supported yet is share cal share calendar read write access. So when you configure hybrid, people can see free busy both ways, and you can share read only access to calendars as well. And if default permissions are set to allow a reviewer and so on, then people can see what's in people's calendars. But you don't have read write access. Uh, now again, that isn't yet supported. So again, as you plan your migration, you still have to take into account people who share calendars. Uh, but it's definitely steps in in the right direction, and this has always been uh, you know a big a big motivator to move quickly to the cloud. But it has also made it very difficult to to coexist uh, in the long term. Okay, great. Well, that's a lot of good, helpful information. Glad to see that that issue has been uh, alleviated, so and officially supported. Indeed, uh, so it's very good news, and it's, it's absolutely fantastic news. Because even if you're using Fantrack Center to turn the wheel on the migration, you, uh, either if you're the consultant or, or, or you're doing this as, as the, you know, the the end customer, uh, you have to plan your migration. You have to tell Microsoft when to when and where to move mailboxes. So it's it's all on you. Uh, you know, they'll turn the wheel on the migration. They won't. Uh, they won't, they won't discover all this kind of stuff for you. And that, yeah, and that makes that makes a lot of sense. So good. At least it's it's somewhat simpler. And, um, Absolutely. Are, yeah. Yeah, and and what a way to end our exchange topics for this particular episode. So I know, and uh, that you know, I've been waiting for this for so long. If you listen to one of our episodes in 2013. Uh, I was uh, over in Vegas on stage with Greg Taylor asking when this feature will happen, and it's here, it's here. And the best, the best thing was, I was one of the, I, I was, I think I was the first VP to know. I had a, a call with uh, one of them, uh, Tim Heaney, uh, to talk about it. I discovered something, and uh, I heard it, and then he let the rest of the MVPs know, uh, let the rest of the MVPs know, and then uh, popped it online. So I was. I was so chuffed. I was so chuffed. <laughs> so, so what you're saying is it, it, it all started with a UC Architects episode in 2000. No, no, no. We, we asked about it three years ago, but people have wanted no, people have wanted this since year dot of oh, yeah. hybrid. You know, this yeah. is this has been a, it was a big ask then. It was 
wasn't here here yet three years ago. Uh, it is. It is now. <laughs> Yay! Great. Well, I'm, g- I'm glad to hear that. So, um, let's head off into events, and we have three of them we'd like to mention. So, the first is UC Birmingham User Group. The meeting is on uh, May 11th, yep. and our own our own Andrew will be uh, speaking about uh, Skype for Business deployments with SQL Always On. So, yep. uh, we'll be there in Birmingham. I will be there on the uh, 11th of May as well with Andrew in Birmingham. And here we talk about SQL always on. Good, and uh, and thank Andrew for doing all the hard editing work. I think he does more work on our podcast than anybody. So absolutely, he's a man full of energy. (laughs) Good. Um, uh, UC Day, um, the twenty fourth of October, in the heart of the United Kingdom. So um, stop by and and oh yeah, oh yes. So we did that last year and. Last year, if you attended, thank you very much. You know, it was a fantastic day, and we flew people basically, you know, from the US all over Europe uh, to come and speak. Uh, and we had uh, a good attendance, uh, three, four hundred people. And again, we're doing the same thing this year. So it's is that the the closest we can get to uh, bringing some of the best of, of Microsoft Ignite over to the UK, and. Uh, unlike uh, a lot of these events that are very London-centric, uh, we're based in the middle of the UK, uh, running from the same venue again, which was fantastic last year. Even more improved this year uh, at the, the the National Conference Centres uh, at the uh, the National Motorcycle Museum. Uh, so right in the heart of uh, England, near Birmingham again. Excellent. Maybe I'll have to come out there and see how it goes. Oh, you you should. You absolutely should. And again, Andrew is doing the bulk of the organising behind that. Uh, it has been his passion over the last eighteen months organising the first one and putting his heart and soul into this one as well. Uh, hats off to the guy. Yeah, he, huge credit Good. on that. Like he takes a ton of organisation to to bring these these events together. So. And everybody listening, we really appreciate you guys spreading the word on this type of event because it's not not the easiest thing to pull together and word of mouth really makes a difference in terms of getting people there and getting sponsors and uh, getting the the international speakers across as well. Great. (laughs) Check it out uh, October 24th. And um, last up, Tom, you're going to be speaking at IP Expo Manchester on May 19th. So what are you going to be talking about? Yeah, look, looking forward to this one. Um, just off the back of speaking at IPX, uh, UC Expo rather in London, uh, this is kind of a sister conference of UC Expo in London. It's IP Expo, so it's not just UC; it's it's a whole range of technologies. Um, but very well attended last year. Uh, I'll be speaking about Skype Business and Cloud PBX and all the various permutations of deployment model and topology you can have. So look forward to seeing anybody around uh, Manchester or the North at uh, IP Expo. I'll be there on the Thursday the 19th and the session's uh, 12.30 to 1. Excellent, excellent. And I've, I've seen a, a bunch of your sessions before, so I, I wholeheartedly uh, recommend you stop by and see Tom's session and say hi and tell him you hear, hear him on uh, the UC Architects uh, podcast. Actually, I, I did the same thing. So I, I sent some of my team to UC Expo, and I said, one of the things you have to do, you have to go and make sure you see Tom. Because you'll learn something. Check, checks in the post, boys. Thank you. <laughs> hey. 
<laughs> Great. Well, that uh, that does it for events and for this particular episode, episode 57 of the UC Architects. So today I'd like to thank uh, my co-host, uh, Steve and uh, Tom. Great to have you guys on. And uh, hopefully the next episode will be uh, a little quicker than uh, uh, than it's taken to get this one out. So uh, we'll look forward to, to uh, seeing you guys again in the future. Um, and we'd like to thank, uh, as we mentioned, Andrew Price for doing our editing. Andrew uh, Price, MVP. Guy. Yeah, that's right, MVP. And uh, I, I think I owe the guy a case of beer for all the stuff he's got to edit out for me. So um, so thanks, Andrew. Uh, um, look forward to hearing uh, the final product of this particular episode. And finally, before we go, as ever, we want to remind you that the UC Architects are online. Well, that's pretty uh, pretty obvious, right? Uh, visit our website today at www.theucarchitects.com. Follow us on Twitter at The UC Architects. Uh, be a friend and like us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The UC Architects, or in our LinkedIn group. Um, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast already, you'll find it in the iTunes store. Search for us in the new WinPhone 8.1 podcast <laughs> app. We need it's not so new anymore. Yeah. Uh, subscribe to the podcast using the, the, the RSS feed in your podcast downloaders, such as Outlook. See our website for links to everything on the show today. And we'll see you back for episode 58 with Steve Hosting. 